we've really been focusing district-wide now on growth mindset, what we're calling habits of mind, focusing on that whole instructional, social, emotional learning piece, which is so critically important to, to, to performance-based learning and making sure students know how to set goals, that they know uh, that they have people that, that, they, that will support them, that failure is okay, uh, and that's how you learn. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. Today, we're sharing an interview that Caroline Vanderark had with Mesa County Valley School District 51 Superintendent Steve Schultz and its Executive Director of Performance-Based Systems, Rebecca Middles. About 10 years ago, the district leadership began visiting leading school districts around the country, districts that were making a difference with personalized and competency-based learning. The board members returned to Mesa County uh, enthusiastic about the change, but Superintendent Schultz knew it would take a lot of adult learning to change the way students learn in this district of about 21,000 students on the western slope of Colorado. So Tom, what is performance or competency-based learning? Competency-based learning means uh, that the system has some clear learning targets and that students show what they know, and they progress based on demonstrated mastery. Uh, Many of us call that competency-based learning. Some people call it mastery-based. In New England, they call it proficiency-based. Here in Grand Junction, they call it performance-based learning. But it all means the same thing. It does, and we just think uh, District 51 is among the best examples in the country um, of developing a competency-based system they do a couple of other things well uh, as well. They really did a nice job of engaging the community around the question of what graduates should know and be able to do. Uh, Schultz also borrowed a management system from Zappos. It's a distributed leadership model with improvement cycles, and there's just a system-wide focus on adult learning to promote student learning. One example is that in most systems, they talk about implementing a new regime. Steve, on the other hand, talks about helping people grow into a shared framework. Let's listen in as Steve shares more with Caroline about the first steps District 51 leadership took on this journey. Today, I just want to talk to you guys about um, competency-based education and, and community engagement. I think you guys have Um, been pioneers in both. And I think uh, seeing a district that has taken such a great leadership role, um, and not only how it's introduced to um, to your students and to your your team, um, but what that's looked like in your community, I think is really remarkable um, and a really great example that we want other people to know about. Um, so will you just give us a little bit of the backstory on, you know, your district's move to, to competency-based education? Be glad to. Um, you know, our interest in uh, competency-based education really had its roots uh, all the way back in 2006 when we, we knew that we needed to shift learning to be more personalized. And we developed a, what we call the performance-based policy at the time. And it's very, very primitive in comparison to what we're doing now. But we started to create multiple pathways to graduation for students, realizing that not every student learns the same way at the same pace. Mm-hmm. And we wanted, we wanted uh, uh, time to be the variable uh, and learning the constant as opposed to the opposite. Um, and so, so that, was, that was our first interest in it. And then 
as, as we, we, we did that, it helped us create a, quite a few academic options and, and choices for kids. But I think there were some constraints due to uh, state uh, level uh, mandates and such that kind of put a cargo net, if you will, mm-hmm. over, over that progressing much further than it had. And about four years ago, um, uh, our board was going through a strategic planning process. Now, I'm sorry, it was actually six years ago. Um, and um, in that process, we had identified personalized learning as a key priority. Uh, we also talked about um, redesigning our compensation model to, to be more relevant to the, to the current time of things. And as, 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 that, as that kind of, as we worked on that for a couple of years, uh, uh, what we're competency-based education, we're calling performance-based learning, uh, started to rise to the the, the top of the uh, of the list in terms of priority, and we we discovered that there was a, a group of districts in the state being coordinated by the Department of Education in a somewhat informal way that were exploring personalized learning on a number of levels. So we we decided to join that to help us with just kind of the research and understanding of what might um, be involved there, and so. In that process, there were some meetings where people came together to just talk about what was, uh, what what was going around, and what people's interests were in the state. Uh, and in that process, the Department of Education actually created some opportunities for uh, people participating to to visit some school districts. And we visited uh, Westminster, Colorado, here in in, uh, uh, in the Denver area, and and were impressed with the things that they had done and started. But we actually walked away from there uh, uh, thinking, wow, there's a lot of the things that, that are going on there that, that we already have in place. And so we really weren't sure uh, about what our next step might be. But, you know, we were pleased to have the opportunity to visit there. And later that same week, we sent a smaller team to Lindsay Unified School District in California. Um, I, sent, I sent two board members and two educators. And I thought that was a good balance. Uh, and they came, they, they went on a visit and they came back and I, I knew that because of the educators there that we'd get a really good sense of, you know, the real uh, nuts and bolts of what, what this might look like. And and then the board, I knew they were going to be enthusiastic about it because the right. two boards that went were really interested in, in, in uh, performance-based learning. But we came back truly, they came back truly inspired um, to the point that we sent a larger team of, of about 17 people in the following January, uh, and and that included five of our community members, uh, because we knew that in, in really in, in, if we were really going to transform and reinvent our school district to one that's preparing students for the realities of that students face now, as a, compared compared to the industrial age model, that we were going to have to um, uh, bring the community along. So we took the publisher of the newspaper, the director of the Chamber of Commerce, the, the director of our local economic uh, development partnership, uh, and some people from our local university, along with the rest of the school board members and myself and some other uh, administrators from the district, and went back to Lindsay uh, for uh, a visit. And um, that's just, you know, we, the power of field trips, right? I mean, it's, it's so interesting. We talk about that all the time, that professional development's wonderful and even making it on demand, but the power of place, right? Of putting people on a bus where they go and they visit a school and they have reflection time. What did those visits look like? Were they, were they spending time in classrooms? Were they reflecting after the visit and having any discussion on the ground there? Can you talk just a little bit about the, the visits themselves? Well, 
Well, the power of that visit was that there were really no constraints put on us, even though we, you know, went as a team. Yeah. We were able to visit lots of classrooms. We weren't restricted from talking. We weren't limited to talking to just certain people. Um, but it was very hands-on, and it was very easy, very quickly to see how engaged students were, and how much a part of how they owned their learning, which is exactly what we dreamed and envisioned. In 2000, I visited Chugash, Alaska. It's a small district that is a network of remote villages, really K-12 uh, one-room schools that serve mostly Native kids. It was the best example that I had seen to date of a personalized and competency-based system. One teacher might have 15 kids, and they're all moving at different, uh, at different levels, studying different things. And Rebecca helped develop that system. She went on from there to start a famous school called Highlander uh, in Anchorage. And then she moved down to Lindsay, California, where she was involved in, uh, in moving that system to competency-based. Then a couple years ago, she moved to District 51 to help them make their transition. I think it's interesting, Rebecca, you've had an interesting path to get to Grand Junction. I think we first um, heard about you when you were in Alaska. So will you just tell us a little bit about kind of your journey to kind of meet them at that point and, and how you guys have, um, you know, gotten to where you are now together? Sure. Uh, in Alaska, I was fortunate enough to um, be involved in some cohorts that were part of the first distribution of support from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And um we did a lot of work at that time moving towards performance space as a cohort of schools. And so I was there as a teacher in that, in that system, and I became a, an administrator in that system in Alaska and then became a national consultant. That then led me to, so that was back in 2000, I think, is when I became um, more full-time involved in it. And then that moved me to a, a position after being a national consultant to Lindsay Unified School District. Um, I was part of the Race to the Top grant application. We did a small piece of that when I worked for Reinvening Schools. And that uh, had put me from moving from Alaska to California to be a part of that district with the work that they had started. Um, and I was a performance-based learning specialist that got to lead a lot of those tours. And I, and I do agree with you. I think coming to see the culture and the exposure and how it feels is um, a different experience than reading about it or having a professional development opportunity or an event PD because you're getting to hear from so many various stakeholders and you get a sense of that vision um, personified through different perspectives. I think that what really stands out with the visits that Lindsay was putting on is that you had structured time for, for visits of schools, but you could actually, it wasn't like only certain classrooms, you could right. be your own. And I think then you had time to process that information with teachers and administrators at that at that time. What I think really stood out with um, District 51 coming to visit, it really stood out to me, is when they brought the community involvement. I had not seen anybody really commit to bringing, I mean, they bring a school board member here and there, but to bring community leaders and to come with such a concerted, focused effort. And I remember being invited to attend the dinner they had um, while they were all there afterwards to talk more about it. And they invited some of the folks from Lindsay to sit at the table with them and, and discuss further. I remember them saying, well, if you, as a community, if we see that this is important, it's going to take a community to make it happen. It can't be just coming from the school district and going outward. It has to be a community effort. And I had not, I'd heard lots of people saying they wish they had done that. I'd heard lots of people saying that would have been powerful to have done that. If they could go back, they would do it. 
But to instinctively know to do that made District 51 really stand out to me, and I never quite forgot that experience. And they then they came back with a special two-day visit after the community said they were involved. They wanted a basically a PD, but within the confine of the district, so that they would mix classroom visits, conversations with teachers and students with PD. And so they brought in administrators and teachers from schools that they were going to kind of demonstrate how far they could go in their own district. They sent a principal and a teacher from every one of those demonstration sites, as well as some other administrators that would um, an, an educational specialist that would support that work to Lindsay and did a really personalized two-day approach because if they're going to fly out there, they wanted to make the most of it. And so I thought it was a really smart move. And they came back, they went there knowing what they needed and they came back with tools they wanted to put into place right away. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. And today we're talking with Steve Schultz and Rebecca Middles of Mesa County Valley School District 51 in Grand Junction, Colorado, about the district's shift to competency-based education and how their community was and still is a crucial part of their shift to a competency-based learning model. We've heard about the great things that can occur when schools and communities support each other in several season two episodes. For example, in episode 10, Laurel Barrett from K-12 Inc. shares some strategies around how communities can best support at-risk students. And in episode nine, Drew Perkins, the director of PD for Teach Thought, shares the ripple effect of positive changes in schools that lead to positive changes in the community. While they could have brought this shift back to an internal focus, District 51 chose to keep community members engaged in decisions. Here's more from Steve and Rebecca on the next steps they took with the community and the selected demo schools in their district to identify and implement a realistic plan. So we've known this was going to be a, a, a long-term commitment and a process. And, and so after we got after we got um, back from all of that, uh, the board was so enthused, they were saying things to Steve, we want this implemented by next fall. Um, and uh, and they meant fully. Uh, so there's a little bit of additional education to help them understand that's probably not realistic. But what we what we did is we identified seven schools that committed to to um, to be all in and deal with the ambiguity and the and the the, cha- the challenge of adaptive change. Uh, and so they had to, you know, we, we presented what it was going to be about, and they had to agree as a staff to, to buy into that. Um, we were so thrilled how quickly the number of schools that wanted to be involved just snowballed. Uh, and um, uh, and so at this time, those those demonstration schools are actually just slightly ahead of, okay. of, of where the rest of the district is, but we've really been... We've identified uh, five um, uh, phases of implementation, and we're working right now on culture and climate, which is foundational. And so we've really been focusing district-wide now on growth mindset, what we're calling habits of mind, focusing on that whole instructional, social, emotional learning piece, which is so critically important to to, to performance-based learning and making sure students know how to set goals, that they know uh, that they have people that that they that will support them. That failure is okay, uh, and that's how you learn. And so, so by focusing on that, people are uh, asking for more. And some schools have even started to set goals to rather than identify a bunch more demonstration schools or take on a different cohort. We're letting them start where they are and trying to support them moving ahead. An additional an additional thing I just want to make sure that I, I mentioned was the community engagement piece continued and continues. We've, for more than a year, collected data from a variety of 
public meetings, focus groups with students, teachers, parents, community members, talking about what should a District 51 graduate look like if, when they leave our system. And that provided the, the basic uh, information for us to really create uh, a meaningful vision statement. And uh, when, we talked, when we talked in San Antonio, that wasn't quite done. Uh, and yet now I'm proud to say that that uh, a group of about 50 community members came together, took all the information that we gathered for a year, added some of their own, and, and we, we've come up with uh, engage, equip, and empower uh, our learning community for today and a, and a, and a limitless future. Um, and and that to me, that's really exciting because it's, it, it's something that I believe the community will own because of the number of people that were involved in the development of that which will help us design the system to meet the needs of our community. One of the things we learned on our visits, because in addition to Lindsay, we also visited uh, Sanborn, uh, New Hampshire, uh, and, and uh, interacted with a, a variety of people. What, what I learned is uh, performance-based learning um, isn't the kind of thing you go and pick up somewhere and then come and just copy it exactly right. in your district. It really has to adapt to your community. And so, um, I'm feeling really excited about how our community has been engaged in that, and and I feel like they're they're embracing uh, our um, uh, efforts and and are are, are lining up uh, to support them. And it sounds like a lot of the success that you've seen, you can attribute to the fact that you included the community because it wasn't something that you had to go tell the community was happening. You asked the community to come and and grow it with you. And I think that's probably one of the biggest barriers that we see. Um, in implementing performance-based or competency-based education, is it something that the community is being told is happening to them and not with them? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I mean, uh, we, we really made a, a, an effort through that those focus groups and community meetings to, to talk about, about how the world was changing and why we needed to reinvent ourselves. That, that the old system was obsolete, that we needed to make sure we still included a focus on basics uh, and that students need to have, but we need to expand what they do so they can really involve critical thinking and all of those things. And that's really resonated with our business community uh, because they see, they see us developing a workforce in, in a lot better way. Some other fruits of that labor is we've been selected as a, a pilot district for a statewide initiative called CareerWise, where we'll be doing uh, creating apprenticeships where kids are actually doing paid, paid apprenticeships in their area of interest in local businesses and organizations. That's great. Uh, and and so, so starting next fall, we'll have 35. That's just a little bit of beginning, but that's something they hope to expand statewide, but we're one of only three districts in the state that are, are participating in this first run. We had a report at a board meeting just last night that uh, the, the director of our Chamber of Commerce, who was one of the people that went to Lindsay, came and was just telling us that uh, the business community is really embracing this uh, and willing to pay, put up the money to do these paid apprenticeships. All of that is part of part of uh, this. And so um, we know that professional development is critical, that we have to um, uh, provide support for our teachers. And so we're, 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 we're trying to keep a very careful tension of giving them the support they need, but not pushing them too fast and not dragging anyone to this. And and that seems to be very uh, positive. We have a great relationship with our teachers association. Uh, one of the two educators we sent to the original uh, Lindsay trip was the president of our teachers association at that time. 
we sent we sent uh, uh, the second. He uh, decided to go back to the classroom after seeing after and but but the reason he wanted to go back to the classroom is so he could do performance based learning. And, and he ended up at one of our demonstration schools. And his successor has been there, actively involved, went to Lindsay, uh, helps us go and talk about and promote that. That's another key partnership. Uh, gives us critical, really critical feedback. Yeah, gives us critical feedback. Say, well, teachers are feeling this. We might tweak that. And how can we clarify this message? So yeah. all of those, all of those uh, areas need attention. And it sounds like that, that two-way communication is really crucial to understand what's happening in the classroom level with the students. Hi, Nicole is the leading advocate for competency-based learning. And it was at the recent INACOL symposium that we caught up with uh, Superintendent Schultz and Rebecca Middles about the work that they're doing. We also saw Chris Sturgis, who leads Competency Works, an INACOL partner. And Chris is so excited about the work they're doing. She went and spent a week there and is launching a, a blog series that will chronicle the journey they've been on. Here's how Chris describes more about what she's learned in District 51. Well, District 51 in Grand Junction allowed Competency Works, myself, to um, come in for a week. It was actually more than a week to participate in meetings, to talk to teachers, to talk to union leaders, to talk to school board members, to go to community meetings with them. And in doing so, they allowed competency works to go much deeper than we've ever gone before in terms of the reasoning and the insights and, and a lot of, um, the, the, the really valuable lessons learned about how and why districts move to competency, uh, competency education. District 51, uh, um, is right in the midst of shaping their performance-based learning system. But what they have done is that they have launched an a very, very powerful um, process of laying the groundwork, of introducing growth mindset, not as just a concept, but actually something where a skill set that teachers need to de develop about how to coach students to develop a growth mindset. They've launched an enormous effort, very powerful effort on learner-centered um, practices in the classroom. So their demonstration schools are building those capacities, this, fa this foundation, while the district is uh, developing the actual teaching and learning framework that will develop into their full performance-based system. While I was there, they were um, planning on having meetings with the community that will, are going to inform the graduate profile and the shared vision for the district. So there's a lot of moving pieces. We entered right in the middle of it. And so what we get is a glimpse of what a district can do to launch competency education within a year, moving the schools, the demonstration schools forward while also building the structure at the same time. The lesson that D51 really provides to all of us is that many of the other larger districts have had very large federal grants in or, um, as they did this work. District 51 is doing this pretty much on a shoestring. And so it's a real lesson for all of us about how this can be implemented in mid-sized districts. During this transition, District 51 has also learned the importance of implementing more professional development opportunities to staff and teachers, offering more voice and choice on what they want to know about. They've received lots of positive uh, feedback on these efforts, and they encourage anyone thinking of starting this journey to make sure they include this in the plan. 
tell me a little bit more about the the kind of ongoing professional development efforts because I think that's one thing um, we've seen with some schools and districts is they've done a lot of the pre work and there's been field trips and they've set it up but then it it oftentimes does fall flat because there's not kind of that continued PD and the refining of the system. Well, I believe we're doing uh, the best we can with the resources. We were fortunate yeah. enough. To- a grant from the Gates Family Foundation, which is a, out of Denver, to help support that. But I would have to say for our implementation, that truly is a bottleneck for us. Uh, we need to be able to provide more uh, opportunity for folks. I don't see it as a, as a you know, we, we need to continue that additional resources to support that would really help us. But I don't think it's a, I don't see it as a, a, a terrible roadblock that's, that's blocking us because uh, we've designed professional development this year for teachers to actually have have a, a lot of voice and choice themselves in terms of what they want to know about. And we've structured the professional development uh, opportunities we've had so that, that they're engaging in that way. And, and so uh, lots of positive feedback about that. Rather than us doing this giant can thing, everybody get one size fits all, them coming, be able to choose from a menu of items based on what their needs are and interests are at that time. We did an Elevate Summit. We call it Elevate Summit in, uh, uh, in late July, right before our school started for the year. Uh, and it was, you know, it was not mandatory, but we had we had 400 people show up and um, uh, on their own time uh, to engage that. And uh, you know, because of grants, we were able to bring in Knowledge Works to help with that uh, that effort, and they helped uh, present. Uh, and we have continued to, to work with them. So, um, but it is critical and we'll continue to be creative about ways to uh, uh, provide it. Go ahead, Rebecca. I think yeah, I'd like to add just a little bit more. I think having a, a themed focus of really working on our transparency and climate and culture uh, helped us to do personalized pathways for our adults in our system. So we provided um, PD options with rubrics to self-assess their growth model, more of a progression. Where are you at on this rubric with this focus area? So, for example, we had five areas based on need, um, feedback from others that they wanted assessment for learning training, so a formative incentive assessments, but assessing for learning. Workshop for all, not just doing workshop in ELA, but knowing that with personalized learning you have kind of a workshop structure across all of your content areas. And a learner-centered culture. So, having a vision of learning in the classroom with student-created norms and access points about how they could start to direct their own learning and having um, a say in that with voice and choice. With social-emotional learning, um, with mindset and our social-emotional learning framework piece also being available, and then backwards by design for those that were newer to our system or had missed that training in the past. So with those pathways, they could self-assess where they were and then receive differentiated uh, PD based on that assessment that they had with voice and choice. So trying to make the most of our event days, I call them event days because they're days on the calendar and you hope everybody's ready for the <laughs> that day. Right. <laughs> um, but we're trying to make the most of those, those days. And then in addition, having resources all through online classrooms for adults so they could go and continue their learning. So if they were exposed to a piece during that PD day, they could go back to that classroom and, and take on more, or see more videos, or push their learning as they're ready. So trying to provide anywhere, anytime learning for the adults in the system. But we recognize that you know resources would help accelerate that. But we're still we're still doing all this without additional really. I mean, the money that Steve referred to was spread out over three years, and really, it's probably the money that we received. Most districts would already have in their budget for PD, so it was an opportunity for us. 
um, to do, I think, work that others could do within their own budget as it is. Receiving further funds moving forward will accelerate implementation, but it's not going to stop us if we don't get it. So that, we, Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just passionate about the reality that, and others have said it, so it's not like it's my uh, brand new idea here, but, but uh, the commitment to, to change and innovate isn't dependent on money. You have yeah. to make the commitment and start, and, 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 and so, so it's also about reallocation, reprioritization a lot. Uh, and so, so the thing I'm, I'm excited about is our board is committed to this, and um, we're getting to the point where regardless of who leadership is, it will continue because we're embedding into our system at a depth where well, why would we do anything different? Um, and so, so that that takes me to the to emphasize it's about collaboration, it's about relationship with with community teachers, principals, um, and and that's why our our work with the teachers association is so valuable because um, uh, we collaborate with them. You know. I, I am beyond belief as to how far we've come in uh, about a year and a half now, uh, because while we're doing all that foundational work, building this community vision, uh, in parallel, we're also uh, collaborating with lots of teacher input and voice, uh, our, our rubrics uh, that will be used to help determine if kids are mastering uh, their uh, on their learning continuum, and and all those other structural pieces that are, are critical to full implementation. Uh, and so everyone's part of that, or as many people who want to be have an opportunity to, to be involved in that. Um, uh, yesterday we just did a training uh, for leadership on, on social, social emotional learning and had, uh, had some folks come in and talk about that and uh, very well received. Social emotional learning is a hot topic in education right now. We're excited that states and districts around the country are embracing broader aims that include social awareness and self-management. One of the most popular podcasts from season two is an interview that I did with Roger Weisberg, the chief knowledge officer for the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, also known as CASEL. It's a, a great chat on why SEL is so important for kids today. Another popular topic in education has been around a growth mindset. And here, Rebecca shares more about how growth mindset plays into District 51 culture at every level. And also, you know, not just doing growth mindset for our learners. I and mean, when we said growth mindset and culture, it's a, it was a shift where, um, you know, I, we would be asked to come in and do growth mindset with our accounting, with our HR, with our yep. facilities, with our transportation, and understanding that it's not that we're either one or the other, that we have both within us, but how we activate or choose to listen to that inner voice and move forward as a district and believe that we can change our behaviors as an organization, our behaviors as adults, and certainly help support behaviors for children about how we approach learning as a learning system is important. And that, I think, we have done across the district and will continue to do. It's not something that's ever completely done. Right. And that's part of the culture, right? I mean, when you when you make it across an entire system versus just in a classroom, then right. it's part of the reason probably that the teachers have been so supportive of it too, because it doesn't feel like it's something that's just being pushed down to them. It's something that as a system, you've all agreed to. Yes. Yeah, I, that doesn't mean that there aren't uh, the challenges of adaptive change along the way where you know, there's mm -hmm. frustration, and, and but we try to address those on an individual basis and and help support people along and help them recognize that uh, we don't want this to be top-down. We need to solve those problems. And so we just we try to solve those as, as they come up. But that's just part of the change, as you know. 
Um, I'm amused at, you know, when I talked about the, this vision statement and uh, we tried, we, we, we made it a priority not to, um, not to come equipped with, well, here it is. Uh, you know, we took all this information and brought those 45 people together to talk about it and they processed it through. And then a subcommittee took that information and, and developed this vision statement. And Rebecca and I sort of chuckled because you can Google what we came up with, you know, engage, equip, and empower. Uh, those three words come up all over the place. So it's not like we invented those. But we didn't know it. It was we organic. We didn't know it at the right. time. It's very organic. <laughs> but the, 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 the point is, I believe it will be embraced and owned because of the process we went through. But it also speaks, you said, you referenced this, Rebecca, it, it speaks to the learner student in the classroom, but it speaks to every adult in the system as well and their parents. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm just really uh, amused by the number of comments. In fact, we just had another one from one of our D51 Foundation members yesterday talk about how they're in different places and kids will talk about growth mindset. I, I, had, one, I had one mom tell me, I, I just have to tell you, I think this PBL is really interesting, and I think I think it's a, a good path to go. My husband and I were having a conversation at the dinner the other night about a family challenge we were trying to wrestle, and my fourth fourth grade son interrupted me and said, "Mom, you and Dad are going to have to get a growth mindset if you expect to solve this problem." That had and to put a big so, smile on your face. <laughs> no, of course it did. So, so, so I mean, you hear those little anecdotal things. Like yesterday, the uh, gentleman was talking about the. Uh, his soccer team, his daughter's soccer team, and Alice, one of the young people on the soccer team was talking about, we got to have a growth mindset on our team. And he celebrated that they went undefeated. So. <laughs> Even though we want to celebrate failing forward. But I, yeah. and I think that that's been a, a vital part. And I would add how that shapes how we look at demonstration schools, too. We're not putting them on a pedestal or saying they've got it all figured out. They've agreed to make themselves uncomfortable in the sense that they'll open their doors for visits and they'll demonstrate where they are in the journey, and that within our seven schools, you're going to see a different level of implementation and have a different culture and feel to it, but they'll have similar tenets. So it's really important for folks to see because people come into this work at different readiness levels and different needs. And so the seven schools that we've selected are vary from magnet schools to title schools to any kind of classification that you would put on it, but they were all interested in doing it and that you can see a different take on it. And I think that's important too because we may have schools who have similar uh, progress, then they're not necessarily we're titled demonstration school because all of our schools are doing this work now, 44. But they would say, you know, we were able to benefit and accelerate our implementation from being involved with other partner schools. And where our demonstration schools are now with everybody doing it, for example, to keep themselves kind of uncomfortable, they are actually piloting some of our learning management systems that we're looking at for a strong alignment before we would go district-wide. They're piloting our new rubrics that we have to give feedback before we go district-wide. So they're becoming kind of a lab, if you will, mm -hmm. um, to give us some really strong feedback before we roll out, and they see that role. So it's not necessarily that, you know, if you come to demonstration school, you're going to see it all figured out. What you're going to see, though, is pretty transparent conversations about areas where they struggle and figured out, things that they have that they feel good about, and then things that they're still working on. And I think that's probably more important to be modeled as a district than, hey, we've got it figured out. Right, because... That's how we all learn, right? Yep. Uh, and so um, uh, we're learning together. And, you know, at, at first, uh, the board was, and I, you know, we were also excited. Oh, yeah, we'll have pilot schools. And, 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 but it didn't take us long to realize that was the wrong idea, that we needed to think more in terms of exactly what we've described in terms of let them be labs, let them be places 
we don't want to make it a haves and have-nots where, well, those seven schools are doing this, but we're doing this. Uh, we, we, we want to feed people where they're hungry. We want them to drink where they're thirsty yeah. about, about expanding this and, 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 and trying to get a, the many good things that are already happening in the schools. I love that. That's a feed people where they're hungry. Um, well, thank you so much for taking time. It's been such a pleasure to watch this journey and we continue to be excited about what's to come and, um, and look forward to seeing more of the success, but also um, learning from your challenges. I won't call them failures, but learning from your challenges. I, I, I thank you for being um, so open about where you've struggled too, because I think that's um, one of the biggest things that uh, as a learning community we need is more people to be open about um, where there's challenges and, and how you've overcome them. So thank you and um, we look forward to, to continuing to watch what you guys are going to do this school year and um, in the next few years. Thanks to Steve Schultz and Rebecca Middles for speaking with us and sharing District 51's journey, Chris Sturgis for sharing her experience there, and to Caroline for the great interview. And as always, to Andrew Luck for mixing it all together and making it sound good. If you're interested in following District 51 on this journey, you can find them on Twitter at District 51 or check out their website, mesa.k12.co.us. Uh, on Twitter, follow at Competency Works for more on this series. And be sure to check out the Getting Smart podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, Subscribe and rate us. For more on all things innovation and learning, check out our blog at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Tom and Kat signing off.